good? There we go. Hey, I did what they told me to do. Just clicked one button. Great to see you today. I am so uh, energized by the summer, um, what we have going on, the events, but really also this time to spend in the Word. And here's my challenge for you, just right up front. <clears throat> There's different ways to study the Word. Some of you might take a portion of a chapter. Some of you might read a chapter a day. Uh, th there's so many different ways. There is no mandated way in Scripture to study the Word. But there is a, a unique way to do this that I'm challenging you to do this summer. I think that if you'll take my challenge, that you'll do it again. And um, here's my challenge. We're going to look at the book of James. It's five chapters. If you sat down and read it, and don't, don't like, uh, what does this mean? And don't get into that devotional frame if you'll just read it. Read it through like a letter you would from your mom or your dad or your sisters. We don't write letters anymore, right? But um, <clears throat> as you would, read the book of James all the way through in one setting. Just read it like a letter. And then the next day, just read it like a letter. And the next day, read it like a letter. And some of you are like, you mean I have to read the word? Like, No, like just read it over and over and over in a month. Don't take a section. Don't uh, just, just read the letter in one setting, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. That's all, every day. And I'm just challenging you to do that and you will be amazed how by day five, day seven, day ten, you're like, wow, this is really starting to stand out to me. I kind of, I'm watching this flow. I'm seeing this. I know what's coming next. I understand why this connects to this. I see where he talked about this and he kind of comes back to it. Because he's trying to, you know, make something concrete in our minds, a truth. And so that's my challenge to you uh, this summer. Just read James, and then read James again, and then read James again, and then read James again. I, I guarantee you by August, you'll walk away, having probably memorized some of James, right? Verses will be like just in your heart and mind, and that's an important thing, to allow the Word of God to sit on our heart, become quick to our mind. But I think that you'll also have a sense of, what he was trying to communicate to them and to us. And so that's my challenge right up front. Read the book of James this summer. I don't know where you're at. Some of you might be reading through the Bible. Uh, that's great. Um, but read James. And, and, and I, if, for, if you are in some kind of program, I, I get that. Then maybe twice or three times a week. Just take a little bit of extra time. Take 15 minutes. 15 minutes. We read an article online in 15 minutes, right? We browse Facebook for 15 minutes. I'm going to be very generous, right? Make this summer a chance for you just to, I'm going to take this little book, and I'm just going to read it, and I'm going to read it. And at first when I'm reading it, I'm like, ah, I, don't, I don't get it, don't understand it. Don't, just keep reading. Just read it, read it, read it, read it. So that's my challenge for you. So obviously this is the book we're going to jump into uh, for June, July, and um, one Sunday, no, three Sundays in, 
in August. Here's how I want to preference this book today. Uh, there's so much I would like to say, but I need to be concise, succinct in a, in a study. And so this is how I want to start this whole series. I want to start this whole series by just telling you that I think we can understand James in two words. You like that, right? I like that. Like, I need that. Just give me something I can bite into, I can remember. And it's this. Faith acts. Faith acts. Some people use the, the phrase faith in action. Uh, I just kind of like the two words. Faith acts. Faith does something. Faith acts. It's living, breathing. It's even tangible. It's tangible. Faith acts. And so that to me is at the heart of what James was uh, called to communicate to them and to us by the Holy Spirit. It's to remind us of this, this truth that faith lives. It acts. It breathes. It's tangible. You cannot understand faith without understanding that something happens because of your faith. And that inherent to faith, there is a response, a reaction, a task that happens. Think about the, 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 the Hebrews 11 chapter, the Hall of Fame of Faith. By faith, right? By faith, Noah. Well, he believed, but then what did he do? He acted. He built an ark. By faith, Abraham, well, he believed. What did he do? He went into a country where he didn't know where he was going. He acted. Then he actually, by faith, Abraham, when God asked him to give his son Isaac back to him, he took Isaac. By faith, Moses believed that he was called to lead the children of God, but then what did he do? He acted. There's always action to faith. And so James is going to come alongside and give us this picture, this side of what it is to be a believer and understanding what it looks like. And this is where I want to start. I want to start with the words of Jesus. This is, my father, this is to my Father's glory. John 15, right? The vine and the branches. and it's, Man, it's just so powerful. And talking about what's real. And if, you, if your words remain in me, then you are mine. Like this whole litmus test to what it is to know Jesus. And he says, this is to my Father's glory. That you, what? Bear much fruit. This is the way that you show yourself, you prove yourself to be my disciples. So I want you to hear the words of Jesus as we start to move into the book of James. Jesus was all the time, the Sermon on the Mount is faith acting. I mean, it, it, the seminal truth of the whole New Testament, the kingdom, is faith acting. Here in John 15, he says, you know how you are my disciples, you know how you can know, is if you bear much fruit. And fruit is tangible. It's 
It's seen, it's touched, it's heard, it's experienced, it's communicated. The fruits of the Spirit are this, 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 and this. And when these things live in our lives, then it's obvious in our actions, in the way that we live, it's born out of our faith that we have, right? So bearing much fruit, Jesus was always talking about this. I want you to see that Paul would talk about this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. I want to take a moment and say all means all, but I will refrain. Offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. What is no? It's an action. It's not, oh, I believe, it's I do something with my belief. To say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to do what? To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And he takes a detour of verse 13. Because we're waiting for something better. That Jesus is coming back and that there's something to the end of this. And then he says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. Again, I am just amazed by the modern Christian emphasis that the, the inability to address the sin in our lives. We are not New Testament Christians if we believe that we can flirt and live with sin in our lives and still be a believer. The, the word, I, I just wish Paul and James and Peter and, and all of them would just stand and come in back into this present age and say, what are you doing? Just thinking that your, your lifestyle can continue to be what it always was. And, but, you know, I punched my ticket to heaven. I said a prayer. It's to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us to himself, a people that are his very own Again, this is the word holiness, set apart, his very own, eager to do what is good. In fact, Paul says this. For those of you that are new, this probably isn't the greatest first Sunday to come. I'm sorry about that. This is, this is for us as the church. And we'll, you come along and you listen in. But James was written to Christians, all right? There is no... Uh, in fact, he talks about Jesus very little because he already assumes that they know and have a relationship with Jesus. This is a pastoral epistle. This is a, hey, we're going to assume you already know the basics and the foundation. Now this is what it looks like in your life. And he has a pastor's heart and saying, I so badly want you to apply the truth into your life. And so he doesn't waste time with kind of Christology or uh, uh, it's just based on okay we already have a starting point here now let's jump in it's very practical in nature and so if you're new I'm sorry Um, please come back but listen in as we talk to the church for we are God's handiwork right we're saved by grace through faith that's the context of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 For we have been saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? Very primary to Paul's uh, writings and his emphasis as he is talking to Gentile believers mostly as he is establishing, okay, so many things. And he says this, 
but we are saved by grace through faith alone. We become God's masterpiece, His work of art, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do, do. Do good works. Right? Part of what it is to be a believer is to have a faith that lives in action. That's what James is coming along. You can't read the book of 1 John without, uh, let me, I'll go back to Paul. Because so many people think Paul and James, like they were adversaries. And they, they you know, th- th- this whole thing, it's ridiculous. They, they're not adversaries. They have different emphasis. And in fact, when you go back to Paul's writings, you realize uh, that he is saying the same thing as James every once in a while. His emphasis is different. How do, or uh, um, his emphasis is how is salvation received, right? By faith alone. James is coming alongside as a pastor and saying, okay, you got that. Now, how is faith, how is salvation verified? Uh, it's like John. First John is writing, I want you to know that you know. I want you to have confidence in what you've placed your faith in. And that is where he talks about those who, uh, uh, if we keep his commandments, then we know. 39 times in First John, it's no, no, no. James and John are like, so I want to say they're kissing cousins, but that's a weird thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Evidently, it didn't used to be. Like two or three hundred years ago. That's really weird. Like even cousins got married. Can you imagine? They're friends. They're not kissing cousins. They're, they're, but they both have a pastor's heart. And, but Paul is saying the same thing. He's not in contradiction with them. He's saying the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith doing what? Expressing itself through love. We can't love somebody without acting toward them, right? Love acts. Paul, Paul was always saying the same thing. I'm thinking about, um, uh, oh, I didn't put that in there. It's okay. Um, Second Peter is committed in a very big portion of its scripture to written to prove a living faith. And so James is going to be hard-hitting It's going to be in your face. It's not going to waste time explaining why. It's going to tell you how. Because he, but he is not alone. He is not isolated. He is not out of the mainstream. He is exactly what the beautiful work of the Holy Spirit in designing his word. It's to come back and say, hey, you understand why, how you receive salvation. I'm going to tell you what it looks like. I'm going to spell it out for you. And so over this summer, we're going to actually have conversations that are a little more real in nature than theological. It's why are you not doing this in your life? Okay? I probably shouldn't tell you that because then you'll skip church because you don't want to be told what to do, right? But that's what James is doing very much. 50 imperative statements. It's just chock full. Imperative is command. You should do this. Do this. And it, but it fits completely in with the whole theme of Scripture. The other guys, some of them are emphasizing something that needs to be said 
He's coming alongside and making it complete and whole and perfect and beautiful. It looks like what the gospel is. He assumes they have good theology. Douglas Moo says this in his commentary. His purpose is clearly not so much to inform, but to command, exhort, encourage. And if I think through my preaching, we've done a lot of informing. We just did the Real God series, right? The beginning of this year. That was more theological in nature. Who is God? Understanding, information. And now we want to kind of set back down into what do I do with the truth? The practical application. James is black and white. He's like John. Uh, The difference is, is John is black and white about concepts. James is black and white about application. And I've been reading this week so much. Can you tell I'm fired up? I'm energized about this, and I'm just, new life is just living in me. I kid you not, you might think I'm weird, but like I am just yearning for my commentary time. Does that make me weird? Like I can't wait till tomorrow or Tuesday to keep reading Douglas Moo and and Scott McKnight and all these commentaries because it's just breathing life into me, right? And I want to communicate that in a timely manner. But I, this first day, I want to kind of set a scene, a context, and for you to understand that James comes alongside Paul, and Peter, and John, and they all follow the lead of Jesus. One thing I've noticed this week is I, one guy kept saying, John MacArthur kept saying, listen, when you look at James, understand that the Sermon on the Mount Jesus' words about blessed are you if you do this. Blessed are you. And this and this and this. James just like, it's like he was reading the Sermon on the Mount before he started writing. It's just a beautiful commentary on what living out the Sermon on the Mount is. And and so James is so mainstream to what the New Testament is about. So let's jump in. All right? Here's the one thing I want to Here's how it jumps in. James. Now, who's James? Honestly, if you read all the scholars, there's four options. Two that are pretty obscure, that there's really no validity to them writing it. The third one was James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, right? The son of thunder, James. Did he write this book? One of the apostles. Well, no, he died early. He faced an early martyr's death. There's no way a dead man could have written this, all right? So it's not him. So it's classical, orthodox, beyond. You have to really get critical here and try to be a jerk and try to throw a monkey wrench into this. If you don't, everybody knows that James, this person who's writing, was an actual brother of Jesus Christ. Actual brother of Jesus Christ. Now, that's amazing if you think about what that means. Remember Jesus on the cross, um, as he's the seven sayings. One of those was what? John, take care of my mother. John wasn't his son, right? John the apostle, the beloved. That, John was somebody else who Jesus, you know why he had to say that? Because there was no family there. James wasn't at the cross. 
James didn't believe in his own brother all through his ministry. Jesus makes reference to this. Uh, This guy grew up with Jesus as his brother. (laughs) I've been thinking about that this week. That would stink. If you're never winning an argument, you're never, he's never getting in trouble. It's always you, right? No wonder he didn't believe. He was just ticked off. How did I get this in life? The perfect kid like, is my brother. And he didn't believe. That's who this is. He wasn't even at the cross. So Jesus had to tell somebody else to take care to honor his father and mother. Jesus is so beautiful, and as he's dying, he's living out the word, honor your father and mother. Take care of Mary, John. Why? Because James wasn't even there. But we realize that James becomes a believer after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus appears to James personally and says, James, you know I was dead, and now I'm alive. And that changes everything for this man, who for 33 years knew Jesus, was related to Jesus, did not believe in Jesus, and yet that event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, changed everything. And I want to remind you, just as a sidebar, this has really been sitting on me, resurrection is the catalyst for life. It changed James' life, and it is the thing that continues to be the catalyst for all of our lives. This is not a moralizing place where we're just trying to teach good morals and make men better or good. We are believing and trusting in a whole thing that takes dead people and makes them alive. Amen? That's what this is all about. I go to church because I want to be a better person. Stop doing that. You want to go to church because you want to be a living person. That's what this is all about. And that's the only thing that changed James' life was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He got to see the good moral example every day. Or I don't know what they did in their adult years if they lived. But he knew exactly what it looked like, Right? It didn't change him. He didn't believe. What caused him to believe is this resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And when we talk in faith, in the church, in the kingdom, you know, our lives are going to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. We're going to be the best people. That sounds really arrogant, doesn't it? We are. We're going to be the best employees, the best family people. We're going to be the we're going to, to be excellent. But it won't be because we it was a moralizing process. It was because there's an energizing spirit within us compelling us and causing us to live this excellent, holy, set-apart life. And that's the whole dynamic of the church, and that's what changed James' life. And what continues to change you and I's life. Don't don't be focused on, I need to do this. What you need to do is every day avail yourself to the transforming, empowering spirit of God. That's what you need. That's why you need to pray. That's why you need to, 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 to look to Him. Because you can't do this without Him in you. We become just dead 
There is no life in us, in our abilities. And James saw this whole dynamic, and it changed his life. And I just want to remind you right up front, if you understand James, you understand that one thing was the catalyst. And so when he starts talking about, you need to do this, 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 and this, it's not that you need to do this to become a believer. It's you can't help but do this because you are a believer and you have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in your life. Okay? Some of you are probably bored to tears right now. I'm sorry. James becomes this believer who becomes a key figure in the church. In fact, he becomes the pastor of Jerusalem. He becomes one of the most influential people in the early church. From unbeliever to pastor of Jerusalem. Um, It's said in tradition of James, they call him James the Just, because his life was so righteous There's even a legend out there, and this is a legend, okay? We don't know if it's true or not. That James's knees were like the knees of camels because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer. This guy, you want to see somebody live it out? James. You want to see somebody believable? James. You want to say, hey, I'm going to listen to that guy because I know it's real, authentic? James. In fact, he has a nickname, James the Just. The just means righteous. It's like believable. Exhibit A in what God can do to make us in his image. That's James. And he becomes this pastor of Jerusalem. And out of his pastor's heart, he begins to write this book. It's probably written in the 40s. It dates itself as the earliest book in the whole New Testament. First one, James. First book. I think that's interesting because there hadn't been time for a lot of the theological disputes, right? A lot of the false teaching hasn't came to the, to the forefront, and that's what Paul is addressing. James, man, it's just 12 years, 10 years, 12 years after Jesus has died, and he's in the middle of it, and he's just trying to share, hey, this is what faith looks like to his people probably around 45, 46, when it's written. Earliest book in the New Testament. James himself dies in 62 uh, AD. And so he writes this about 15 years before his death as a pastor. This this happens before the Acts Council. it's, uh, It's an early book. And to me, that is so important because it's like, you want to know what Jesus looked like? The book of James shows that. And I don't have to spend a lot of time dealing with false teaching. I just need to show you how to apply your faith now into your life. And so James, James, the brother of Jesus, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would say what? An apostle. Peter would say an apostle. John would say an apostle. James was not an apostle. And yet, he gladly knows what his role was in the kingdom. And he doesn't just say James something, pastor of the church in Jerusalem. That was a really high position. He was probably the most influential person in the early church besides Paul and Peter. And yet, he looks at himself as what? 
a doulos, a servant. Uh, it's a busboy. It's a wipe your feet, dirty feet kind of person. Again, he gives us a clue in to people who are godly have a deep sense of humility. And Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you will be a what? Servant. And James is living this out. A servant of God. He's going to later on say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I've experienced this in my own life. And I want so badly sometimes to look at somebody and say, listen, man, listen, lady, you can't even get out of your own way. The reason why God don't, won't lift you up is because he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. People who have really, really, really lost a sense of their own self-sufficiency, of their own ability. Ah, when you come to a point where you become just broken, over the fact that if I'm in control, I am messing it up. I am so broken without Jesus Christ. That's James, a servant of God. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. I told you, he's pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in what country? Israel. What is mainly most of his people in his congregation? Jewish. He's writing mostly to Jewish Christians. But what happens early on as this little church starts to grow and, and they become persecuted, right? Rome begins to persecute them. And the Jewish people who came to faith are scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. Jews have always been scattered, it seems like. I read accounts of where there was a million in this city and 10,000 were killed in this city in the Roman Empire. They were all over. And James had become this pastor of this church. And as the pressure and the persecution of the church had begun, people had scattered. They had gotten away from it. And, but yet James was still their pastor at one time. And he's like, I need to share with these people who have scattered because of persecution. I need to keep talking to them about the faith. And so he writes this book to the 12 tribes. That's just code for Jewish people scattered among the nation. Greetings. And this is how he jumps in. Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many, kind, of many kinds, count, it's an aorist term, consider or evaluate it as joy. It's a choice, count, not feel, count. I'm going to make a decision to be joyful in the middle of these many trials so he's writing to persecuted people that's one of the purposes of this book is to show them and us how or what happens when we face hardship trials in our lives what does a christian live like how does a christian absorb and experience the hardship and trouble of life you and i aren't scattered around the world we're not running for our life because of our faith. But all of us know what it is to encounter trouble, do we not? Even as I look out among this congregation, 
if I started to name some of you out by name, I, have, I know that you're dealing with trouble. I know that you have hardship and trial in your life. Jesus said in this world you're going to have what? Trouble. Hardship. Trial. And so this is a great picture to all of us is when we face hardship, how do we respond? What does faith act like? Genuine, real faith in Jesus. What happens to us who have that when we face hardships? And he says, count it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you faith face trials of many kinds, of various types. It's the word multicolored. It's um, they come from everywhere and anywhere. And it might be different for you and it might be different for me. Trials just come anywhere, in any shape, in any size. But I want you to understand that immediately James is already introducing to us this idea that a Christian lives different. And real faith acts different than the world around us. What happens normally when uh, uh, people who are without faith face hardship or trial? They crumble. They turn to something. They are discouraged. They are depressed. They, are, they go into a tailspin, right? They, they don't know... They don't know how to cope. That's why our world is full of so many of abuses, of substances, and, and so many different things, so many um, uh, things that we become captivated by because I don't know how to handle hardship or trial. And the believer looks at it in a different way. Faith understands something bigger than just my life stinks, right? It rains on the just and the unjust. Cancer happens to believer and an unbeliever. Um, hardship comes to you and to you, uh, Christian, non-Christian. It all happens. But in the life of a believer, something different is taking place. And James immediately is introducing us to real faith, real faith, encounters hardship different. And so a believer doesn't go through a hard time and all of a sudden turn to drinking. Like, man, my life stinks. I need to drink a bunch this week just to deal with it. That's what the world does, right? A believer doesn't, man... My life stinks. I need to fill my life with all these things, and I need to spend more money than I should, and I need, what do they call it, uh, retail therapy, <laughs> right? That's what the world does. Ask them, look at the studies. My life stinks. I'm going to go buy five new dresses, or I shouldn't stereotype that as women. Five new toys, chainsaws, I don't know. Makes me feel better and cope with life. That's what the world does, right? Christian sees it totally different. Hardship is not, oh. Hardship, something bigger is going on. And yeah, I feel the pain of my hardship, of the trial. I'm emotionally impacted, but my mind is set at a different place. And I actually know that something deeper is going on. And so I'm going to fast forward really fast here, okay? 
because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Man, there's so much. Let me just do this. If you want to talk to me about these first four verses, I'll be glad to talk to you about them. For the sake of time, there's so much chalked into every one of these words, these Greek words. They're powerful. It's, it's these trials come on you. you it, they, they, uh, most of them are external in nature. Yes, it can carry with it the idea of internal enticement to sin. That does cause trial in our life, doesn't it? It has in mine. <laughs> I couldn't, I was caught in besetting sin, and you know what? It affected my life and caused trial, right? So yes, but mostly it's external, but it does something. It, the testing of your, man, there's so much here. He says, count it joy, because when you face all these trials coming from everywhere, you can know that something bigger is going on with God. He does not waste anything in your life. And in fact, it's always a win-win with him, that he takes the hard, difficult trials of your life and does something perfect in those things. It's this testing, it's this idea of gold refined by fire. It's this idea of it shows that you're genuine, yes, but the process of the testing is doing something. You know when they stick gold into the fire, what is burned off? The impurities, right? It burns them off and it makes this gold even more valuable. And he says that is what happens is when you go into the fire, like, I don't like this. This is painful this is hard actually God is doing something amazing in your life he's actually using the hardship to define and refine who you are and he's burning off so many things in your life and he's making you more genuine in your faith and he's actually producing this perseverance it's, it's this word hopomone it, it's this idea of the testing of your faith as he allows you to go through hardship and trial you can have pure joy or you can have this overwhelming joy that God is going to use this to make me a strong person a persevering person it's like I like I can use CrossFit for example for me right now I absolutely hate some of these nights when I'm pushing weights and it's hurting me and I can't even lift my arm after the thing I'm not kidding like I, I my muscles hurt I, I tried to come play basketball afterwards and I can't even shoot a basketball and it's painful in the moment but the work of that is doing what well you can see it can't you Mark? <laughs> it is making me stronger it's making me stronger a great goal and the pain of our hardship and trial God is using to create strength perseverance which then leads to as it continues as we get stronger and stronger it finishes his work so that you're mature sorry mature and complete not lacking anything this is the goal of God in our lives to be mature 
And James introduces us early that even in the hardship of our life, God never wastes anything. He uses it. We always win with Jesus, and tough times make mature people. He says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Here's what is interesting, is he follows the idea of tough times make you mature and it's God's work in your life and then he follows it with this verse and it's like he's saying, listen, when you're going through hard times, you're not quite sure what God is doing. Well, guess what you can do in those tough times? You can ask God to give you wisdom. He gives generously. It's not like, well, you should know better. Why haven't you figured this out yet? No, he's just like, here. You want to know what I'm doing? Here. I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you discernment. I'll help you to understand what I'm doing with your life. And so I want to tell you that God wants you to know what he's up to. I can see as I go through hardship and trial what God is trying to do. Oh, yeah. As I ask him, God, help me to understand oh, this part of my life needed a lot of polish. And so he allowed me to go through this to polish me up. Or he's using this hardship that maybe is just life in general. He's using it to polish me, to, to, to make me more mature. God will give you wisdom. God wants you to know what he's up to in your life. So many times we have this idea, I don't know what God's doing. Well, ask him. He tells you to ask him. Get, ask for wisdom in how he is but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded. It's double-souled. It's Dr. Jekyll and Dr. Hyde. It's like you have got to believe that what God is doing in your life, he is going to show you what he is doing. And you need to believe that what he is doing in your life is him. And you've got to cling to that no matter what, no matter how the circumstances get dark and unfavorable. Are you all in to the work of God in your life? Are you all in? Are you all in? Or are you going to continue to be that person that's unstable, that really doesn't wholeheartedly commit himself to, listen, I believe that God is going to work all things together for my good. That's what Paul said, right? And I am all in on what he is doing in my life. And I am not going to drift back and forth and think, well, why, you know, uh, uh, and it's, it's not the idea of not having some doubts. It's just the idea of being unstable, of trusting God and then trusting yourself. It's a matter of commitment. It's not like wondering, well, God, I'm wondering what you're doing with me. That's natural and human. But when that doubt becomes to something like, okay, I'm going to start just thinking about how I'm going to take care of this. I'm not going to completely trust God in this. I'm going to take things into my own hands. I, it's the loyalty thing that creates instability. It's a double-souledness. Say, listen, I'm telling you, God's going to give you wisdom to understand what he's doing, but you've got to be all in to what he's doing. You got to be committed to understand that the hardship, the trial of your life, he's going to show you what he wants to do, and you got to stay with him through that. And you got to believe that he is going to accomplish his work in your life. Are you in? Are you all in? Are you going to continue to be unstable? 
sit on the fence, rock back and forth, like the sea tossed to and fro. It says, listen, believers are people who with joy stay committed to the work of God in their life, especially in hardship and trial. And he says, real Christians, genuine faith doesn't bail when things get tough. In fact, we get joyful. That sounds awful, doesn't it? It doesn't sound natural. But there's a sense of God's going to do something with me in the middle of this. And I'm going to walk out of this better and stronger and more mature and complete because God's not going to waste my hard time. He's going to use it. And am I all in? Or am I going to bail out? Well, it didn't go the way I wanted it to. I don't understand why God would do this to me. No, are you going to stay focused? Are you going to stay trusting? Are you going to stay believing, committed, firm? No, I, maybe I don't understand the whole why, but I know what God is doing in this. He is going to make me more strong and complete and mature. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm not bailing out. Would you stand this morning? Would you pray with me? Father, various trials... We all have them. They look different in all of our lives. Very different circumstances. Very different things. We can be assured that James reminds us right up front that God is doing something powerful with these things in our lives. And that even in hardship, God does His best work. He makes us strong and complete. So Lord, just give us wisdom and discernment. Help us to ask you to see what you're wanting to accomplish through the circumstances of our lives. And help us to remain committed in the middle of our trial to your work, what you will accomplish. Help us not to be unstable. Help us not to bail out. Help us not to be disgruntled or cynical or kind of just lose faith and hope and just kind of become numb and nominal. No, Lord, keep us on fire and firm and trusting and believing that always God is doing His work in my life as I let Him. Make this so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.